Would you let the praise team and the tech team know how much you appreciate them tonight? I am so glad you're here tonight, and uh, I'm pretty excited uh, to be quite honest with you about the subject that we're going to talk about tonight. It's funny. It's sort of ironic in the fact that I've been working on this message, and then I picked up a new book uh, today. How many of you love to read, love to read? How many of you are like me? You can't read one book at a time. That just seemed way too boring. You've got to have about two or three or four going at any given time, and chapter here, chapter there. And so I picked up this book. And uh, I was already interested in the book, and I, I just read, and I'm not quoting verbatim. I wish I'd brought it up here uh, with me. But the author of the book, a very recognizable uh, pastor, pastors probably the second or third largest uh, church in the entire nation, he made this statement. He said one of the things about Jesus that was so unique is that a lot of people who were totally unlike Jesus still like Jesus. And then he went on to say that, that Jesus certainly liked people who were totally unlike him. And how many of you uh, realize that there are a lot of differences in the world, a lot of differences? In fact, one of the ways that you know you're growing, one of the ways that you know that you're maturing in the faith is not only when you begin to recognize the difference between you and other people, but you begin to appreciate the difference in other people. You know, not everybody has to be like us. And if we say, well, you know what, I'm only going to you know, like the people or hang out with the people or be with the people that are just like me, where we're going to miss out on one of God's great blessings in life. Now, if you have more than one child, I heard Pastor talk about this just Sunday afternoon in baby dedication, and he mentioned to all the parents that are gathered in that room that, hey, you can, um, you can raise kids in the same home, and those kids can turn out entirely different from one another. How many of you have had that experience? Your kids may be totally, totally different. In fact, um, maybe you've mumbled to yourself at some point, how can this be? How can this be? They were raised in the same home, with same, same values, same everything, and yet they're so different from one another. Uh, if you've never read some of the writings of Dr. Kevin Lehman, he's a Christian psychologist, and he, uh, in fact, if you happen to have a blended family, I think what Dr. Kevin Lehman speaks into that whole blended family situation is some of the best that you're ever going to read anywhere. And uh, he talks about the differences even in birth orders. And we know that, you know, some of it is just simply because our, our, the birth order of how that works. And you may not really believe that that makes a difference, but most people do who have studied this quite thoroughly. In fact, I'll just share with you briefly some of the remarks that uh, Dr. Kevin Lehman has to say about this, and he sort of takes it categorically. And he talks, first of all, about lastborns, the kids that were born last, and see if this resonates with you concerning your kids, or maybe even you if you happen to be a lastborn. He says, and I quote, lastborns grow up with a tremendous unflagging sense of entitlement. They usually grow up to be people persons. They are charming, frequently very funny, and often blatant show-offs, loving to be the life of the party. Now, that's not true of every lastborn, of course, but he would say it's true of a lot of them. And then he addresses middle-born kids, those right in the middle. He says concerning middle-born children that they are more of a mystery. He says they are the hardest to define because middle children can go any number of directions. Most often, that direction, listen to what he says, is directly opposite of the child that is just above them. They aren't usually as assertive as firstborn children, but they also, re also require less care than a lastborn child. They're negotiators, typically speaking. Middleborn are negotiators and mediators. 
and then firstborns. This is what Lehman says concerning firstborns, as well as he would put in that same category uh, only children, you know, where there's like one child in the home. He says firstborns are the class presidents, the high achievers, the ones who like to be in control and who are convinced that they know the way everything should be done. They are known for being capable and dependable, but they are perfectionists who are exacting and exhaustingly logical. How many firstborns do we have in church tonight? Firstborns, I'm a firstborn, wave your hand. Middleborns, let me see your hand. All right, still trying to figure you out. Lastborns, all right. So there's differences among even our own kids. That's, that's true in my family. Uh, Brand is so unlike Drew, is so unlike Brand, even vocationally, the path that they have chosen. I mentioned this at Lakeside this past Sunday, that if you were to take Brent in his career and insert him into what Drew is doing, Brent would be absolutely miserable. And if you were to take and displace Drew out of what he does and say, well, hey, you're going to have to spend the balance of your life doing what your older brother does, he would be absolutely miserable. I'm still trying to figure out why none of them chose to be a pastor. That's probably, I probably, I, I don't even know. Don't even want to go there. But uh, neither one of them, if you put them in the other person's position, would be happy or fulfilled. But it's not just true in kids. There's often great diversity from the people that we work with. Uh, think of some of the people that you work with. Of course, think of them in non-judgmental ways and think about them. Think about how their, their priorities may be different from your priorities, the priorities of people that work around them. I think you realize that not everybody in the place where you work probably has the same work ethic, or uh, there may be variables in terms of integrity issues or energy levels and such. But there's differences in the home among kids and in the workplace. And if you've ever traveled to international countries, you know that there is much diversity that we quickly notice if we're traveling in a different part of the world. Differences with culture and differences with customs and languages and uh, how many of you have ever been told, I know I have, I, I have a tendency to speak with my, if I have a tendency to speak with my hands, so if I, if I put my hands in my pocket like right now, I'm going to have to do the closing prayer in less than six, 60 seconds. We're just going to wrap it up. And uh, so I've, I've been told that, you know, when you're in other countries, you know, there's certain things that would be commonplace, that would be non-offensive that you do right here in America, but uh, you, a missionary say, don't, don't. Anybody ever ha tell you something, don't do that. Don't do, it may not be offensive where we're from, but in another. And so there's differences in that regard. So often we approach our differences with others by building, here's the problem, by building walls instead of bridges. And we just say, well, they're not like me, or they're different from me, or we don't have a lot in common. And so our tendency, this is, our, this is sort of our, our human condition, is we have a tendency to build uh, walls instead of bridges. And a lot of times when we just think about it, a lot of times if we're not careful, even though we know and love God, we'll find ourselves, instead of throwing ropes to people, we'll throw rods at people. And of course, that's never what God intended. I want you to take a look at this statement up on the screen. Uh, in his book, The Life you, uh, You've Always Wanted to Live, John Ortberg says this. He says, a great statement, he says, to grow spiritually means to live increasingly as Jesus would in our unique place. To perceive what Jesus would perceive. This is how we ought to live as Christians. To perceive what Jesus would perceive if he looked through our eyes. To think what he would think. To feel what he would feel. And therefore to do what Jesus would do. 
And Jesus has been, when you think about it, friends, and I know a lot of you study the Bible, and when you think about it, Jesus has been and will always be into building bridges instead of walls, extending love and acceptance instead of contempt and indifference. And because Jesus was all about building bridges, I'm not telling you anything that most of you don't already know, that that often got Jesus in big, big trouble with the religious establishment because in their idea of thinking, there ought to be insiders and outsiders, and Jesus didn't perceive life that way. He was all about building bridges. He got into trouble for things like going into the home and sharing meals with tax collectors. And that was uh, unthinkable among the pharisaical sect and teachers of the law and such. They'd be like, how in the world can you do something like that? And that's what Jesus did because, again, Jesus was all about love and acceptance. And that's what we've got to be about more and more. In fact, I'll come to a couple of verses a little while later that just reminds us of something that we've got to exemplify as followers of Jesus even more so than anybody else, and that is love. And and love can be just so overused that we, we lose the appreciation for what love is really all about. And love in the way that Jesus, like Ortberg said, to think the way that Jesus would think and feel the way that Jesus would feel and therefore to do what Jesus would do. And love's a really big thing. Uh, Not too terribly long ago, I ran across this. It was a group of four to eight-year-olds, and here's the question. You've got to realize the question uh, that they were asked, and then I'll share just a few of their responses. Four to eight-year-olds, so think about that age group, and then they were asked, what does love mean? What does love mean? Let me share with you some of their responses. Rebecca, who is age eight, this is what she said. She said, love is when my grandmother got arthritis. She couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. She said, that's love. I love what Carl says. Carl, age five, he says, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. That's what love is. Emily, age eight, love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together with the person and talk more. My mama and daddy are like that. They look gross, she said, when they kiss. Noel, age seven, I love this one. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every single day. Uh, Kaylee, our oldest, just turned five last, last Thursday, and so she's in sort of like school now, and she rides a bus, and she does all that, and there's a little boy, and he doesn't understand. I know he doesn't understand what love is, but he's always telling Kinley, I love you, and I want to marry you. I want to marry you, and, you know, I love you, and we're going to, and, and so she's just, I mean, she's just five, and apparently she had had it up to about here the other day, and she looked at him, and she said, you are so annoying. And I don't know if that's really backed her off or backed him off or not, but you're annoying. Tommy, age six. I love this one. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends, even after they know each other so well. They're still friends. Lauren, age five, I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and has gone out and buy new new ones. She just gives me all of her leftover stuff. She loves me. Karen, age seven. This is cute. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. (laughs) One more. Jessica, age eight. Quite profound when you think about it. Jessica says, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. 
loved. By this, Jesus said, the world's going to know that you're my disciples because you love one another, because you build bridges to people that are much different than you are. And I think that all of us would agree tonight that, that there can be significant differences between our own children, and most of you have found that to be true if you have more than one child. And people in the marketplace, the people that you work with, can be so different from one another. And among various cultures, it is even more so pronounced. So it only stands to reason, have you noticed this, that even among us in the church, we have differences and we have distinctions. If you don't believe that, just lean up for just a moment, look down the aisle this way and that way, and you're going to see that a lot of people are different than you are. Any differences? I think so. Now, the Bible clearly teaches, and I'll, I'll just touch on this. There's so many ways that we could just go into this one realm, and I'm not going to do that because I want us to keep moving. But I want you to look at this verse right up here on the screen. Take a look at this one, Romans 12. It's the A part of verse 6, and Paul says, you know, we're so different that we even have different gifts. And he says where these gifts come from according to the grace given us. Like we didn't, you know, like choose these gifts. God, the Holy Spirit chose them for us. Uh, look at this uh, next uh, couple of verses up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service. So we're different in even our service, our, our ministries, but we serve the same Lord. God works. How does God work? God works in, in different ways. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. How many of you believe with all of your heart that God loves variety? God created us differently. There's nobody that is just like you. And you may say, but I've got a twin. But even among a twin, there are differences that you have. The beautiful reality of the bride of Christ is this. It is our diversity. We have, listen, not just different spiritual gifts, but we have different personalities and backgrounds and passions and abilities and ideas and maturity levels, and they add strength and variety and effectiveness when they're played out in the context of what is God's purposes and pleasure. But see, God never intended that the differences among those in His family would divide us or alienate us from each other. You've heard me mention this before. A lot of you are familiar with Lee Strobel. He was a former atheist and came to Christ actually by trying to prove that Jesus didn't exist. He was a, he was a researcher uh, for a newspaper, investigative reporter. And so he's really good at investigating and research and such. And so Lee's story is that he came to Christ actually trying to disprove the existence of Christ. And, and one of the things you've heard me mention that he loves, and I've heard him quote this before, uh, he's, he quotes the reply of Homer Simpson's fundamentalist neighbor. This is how he says it. He said, when, or, when Homer asked where they had been, so in this episode, and I didn't watch the show, I've heard the name, but he said, when uh, the neighbor came home, Homer Simpson asked them where they had been. And the reply was, we went away to a Christian camp. We were learning how to be more judgmental. And yet you and I know that we cannot find any kind of continuing theme in the Bible anywhere which would convince us that you and I have been appointed to be the judge of other people. Think about it with me, friends. Our mission assignment from heaven is not one in which we are to go around pointing out the flaws, the imperfections, and the weaknesses of other people. Check out these two verses from the New Testament. Matthew 7, 1. Great verse. 
Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Read the last portion of it with me. Everybody, let's read this together. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Keep that up there for just a moment, guys. Any of us want that? I, I don't want anybody doing that to me. I don't want anybody picking on me or jumping on my failures, criticize our faults. You know, uh, reality is we do that enough on our own. We don't need anybody else to show us. Are, are you like that? I mean, you know your faults. You know your weaknesses. You know your frailties. You don't need anybody else pointing that out to you or picking on you concerning that. And, and the Scripture says, hey, uh, don't do that unless, of course, you want the same treatment. All of us would say, no, well, we don't want that kind of treatment at all. Uh, Romans 14, 10, look at this next verse. So why do you judge your brothers or sisters in Christ? And why do you think you're better than they are? We will all stand before God to be judged. Isn't that true? We're all going to stand before God one day to be judged. And maybe you're thinking, even tonight, but Pastor Jeff, aren't we supposed to speak the truth? And the answer to that is an emphatic yes. And aren't we to confront at times? And the answer to that would equally be less. Certainly we're to do those things. But always, if we're to follow the biblical pattern of it, it is always being mindful of this sense of community and oneness that we belong to and with a spirit of love and grace and authentic concern. Here's a reality I want you to think about. If you are ever eager to confront, if you just say, I mean, if you just like get worked up, and probably we all have done that at some point in time, if you ever just find yourself eager to confront somebody, then be sure you don't confront them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you just get worked up, sort of animated, your RPM start pegging out a little bit, just the very thought of confronting them just sort of adds fuel to the fire, then then don't confront them. See, I think biblically speaking, and I'm, I know that there's probably exceptions to this, but the reality is anytime you and I are going to confront somebody, at least in the biblical sense of how we ought to do that and correction, or, I mean, there ought to be that, that part of us that says, you know what, I know I need to do it, and I know that it's the right and appropriate thing that I need to do, but there's nothing in us that relishes that. Can I just be quite honest with you? When I see people who are followers of Jesus and they're all excited about trying to straighten everybody else up, you ever met people like that? If they happen to be near you or in your section, please don't point at them, don't nod, don't wink, don't do, I mean, just don't. But if you've ever, the reality is if you ever find somebody like that, doesn't that just make you a little bit nervous when they're just like, you know, I just want to straighten everybody else out. It's just my mandate and I'm to just go out and, you know, point out everybody's faults and where they need to work on what areas of their life. And that's just like, like their assignment, their mission. Dallas Willard, you've heard that name. He's done a lot of writing about spiritual growth. And, and he says this. Take a look on, on the screen. This is a great statement. He says, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community. Think about this now. Wrap your mind around it. An inclusive community of loving persons with himself, with God himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Here's another thought I want to give you. Maturity in spiritual matters, maturity in spiritual matters will cause us to look past our differences and we'll love and accept each other anyhow. Let me say that again. Maturity in spiritual matters will cause us to look past our differences 
and will love and accept each other anyhow. And when this happens, it becomes a compelling example to the unchurched. You think about the influence and the opportunities that God has given us right here at Victory Church and the difference that we've already been able to make in the community. And I think one of the primary things is, uh, you know, God is able to do what God wants to do in, in our church, and that's a good thing. And the Holy Spirit is given full reign to do what He wants to do, and that's a, that's a great thing. But I think one of the things that speaks so powerfully to our community when you think about it is that the unity and the oneness and the togetherness that we share as a church family. That's a powerful thing. Would you agree with that? I mean, to just have that kind of family functioning together, it becomes a compelling example to those who are far from God. And that's why it's so important that you and I give each other room to be different. Can I just ask you, are you doing that? I mean, really, are you doing that? Are you giving other people room to be different? Are you allowing people who are unlike you to just, you know, to be accepted? How many of you, and I'll just take one area, and I know that, uh, you know, there can be discussions around this, but how many of you know that even, even around the subject of music, we all have different tastes and different opinions and different ideas? And so your, your idea of music may not be my idea of Christian music, and yours may not be one of somebody else, but listen, that doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong, or, or you're wrong and I'm right. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? But sometimes we maximize our differences, and it's like, it's like I think Jesus is just saying, why, why are you doing that? I mean, that's, that's not even necessary. Some of you... Um, may have heard me tell this story before because this guy just made such an impact upon, his, upon my life. His, his name has passed away now. I did his funeral service a number of years ago. Yeah, C.T. Bailey. And some of you may have known C.T., just a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, I think he, by vocation, spent years and years as a watermelon farmer. And it's just a, a great guy. And so when we started out at, at Lakeside, I mean, C.T. sort of stood out. And he, he stood out a little bit because every single Sunday, uh, C.T. Would, would come in, and he, and he had on a very nice-looking suit and a, and a tie, and, and it just sort of stood out in, in that kind of setting right there. And so C.T. one time was in the hospital, and I'd wondered this question before because um, I'm thinking, you know, C.T. is an older guy. At that point in time, he was, he was the oldest guy at, at the church. And now the oldest guy is a guy by the name of, of Jack uh, at Lakeside, and, and Jack is about 93 or 94 years of age. You want to have an interesting conversation with somebody? Have a conversation with somebody that's about 93 or 94, and some of the things that they've seen over a lifetime. And so I actually get together for lunch with, with Jack about one time a month and just take him out. He can't really drive anymore. His vision is such. He's very healthy. If you saw him standing right here tonight, you'd say, hey, there's no way that guy's 93 or 94. He may be mid-70s, but he can't see any more to drive, and he doesn't like that because that's, you know, impinged upon his independence. And so uh, used to, we'd just meet at a restaurant. And so now I pick him up, and we go. And, and it sort of started with, with Jack in this way. I, I had lunch with him uh, one time, and he just said, hey, I know you're really busy, and, and um, I just wondered, could we go to lunch sometime? And I'm like, well, sure, Jack. And so we set up a time to meet. And Jack is a wonderful, wonderful guy. 
And so we went to lunch, and he began to unfold his story uh, a little bit, and, and, and Jack told me his story, and very interesting. He, is, he had been in the war, and he was a long-term f- football coach, athletic director, and lived uh, a pretty amazing life. And so we're having lunch together, and, and uh, Jack, he says, I want to just tell you, my, my wife passed away a few years ago, and, and uh, we have one child, and, and our daughter lives, and I've met her, and she's a wonderful lady. She loves up in Atlanta, so I'm all alone. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm not spending, you know, a lot of time with people like I once used to. And again, this is a pretty vibrant guy. And so he asked me this question, and, and he meant it so innocently. And, and when I tell you what he asked, you're going to think, really, was he serious? And I'm telling you, he was so serious. And this is what he looked. He leaned across the table, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, because my wife has passed away and because, you know, my daughter lives up in Atlanta now. He looked at me, knowing his age, and he said, if I'm ever in the hospital, I want to just know. And he was so serious. Will you come and visit me? And I'm like, Jack, are you kidding Absolutely. And he's like, you know, there's got to come a time and, and uh, I'm going to pass away. Would you, would you do my service? And I'm, I said back to him, I said, yeah, Jack, I'll do your service in about 20 or 25 years, but not before then. And then we ended. He just looked at me. He said, I really enjoyed today. He said, he said, you think we could ever do this again? And I said, you know, Jack, you know, absolutely. And I just felt, God, you know, you can't do it with everybody. And God knows that. You'd like to do it with more. But I just, I felt in my heart that God want me at least for however season it lasts to just say, Jack, I want to just meet you. I just want to spend time with you. I just want to sit and hear you. And so we've been meeting together about once a month for several years now. So now Jack is like the oldest reigning guy at the church. But part of that, it was CT. And so CT's in the hospital. And you thought I forgot about CT, didn't you? I didn't forget about CT. And so I visit CT in the hospital, and it's just a wonderful guy, wonderful wife. Grace, and her name was so like her as a person. So I walked in, and Grace was there, and a family member had actually called me. Grace had not called me, or CT had not called me, and I heard that he was in the hospital. And, and so I walked, and I just stood by his bed for a moment, and he looked up, and his first words were this. He, he looked at me, and he said, what are you doing here? And because I had a good relationship with CT, I knew that it was positive and not that. What are you doing here? And I said, well, I had a little bird told me that you were here, and, um, and I just thought I'd come by and check and see how you're doing. I've got in, I said it like this, I have informants all over this city, and I was told you were here. So I visited with him for just a short while and was going to leave, but before I left, I put my hand on the railing of the bed, and I looked down, and I said, CT, now that you're sort of a captive audience, and this, his response when I asked this question caused him to become my hero. I said, CT, now that you're sort of a captive audience, I want to ask you a question that I've wanted to ask you for a long, long time. He said, what's that? And I said it this way. I said, why do you, why do you come to the church? Because I'd see this guy come in and, you know, because of his age, walk a little slow. He'd climb the theaters, stairs, you know, and, and I'd say, you know, it's CT, I, I, I know it's a sort of different and I know, I know that the music probably is not like your favorite music. I know that. So I'm just curious. Why do you come to the church? And this is what he told me, and I've never forgot it. He's like, you know what? It's not all about me. And he said, you know what I love? He said, I just love seeing young people getting saved. And how many of you know instantly he became my hero? 
And out of that moment, I just said, God, I want to be more like C.T., I want to be that as I grow older and as I mature and, you know, that, that I, in the life of the church and the life of what I'm doing as a person, as an individual, as a follower of Jesus, I, I don't want it to just be about me. In fact, it doesn't need to be about me. And you know what he was saying? He was saying, you know what? I, what I love is, is something that is bigger than me. I, I just love seeing people get saved. I love seeing people come to Christ. So if it's not done the way in which I think it ought to be done, well, that's all right with me because it doesn't always have to be my way. And you know what he was saying? He was saying it's okay to be different. And we need to give each other room to be different. And we need to allow each other the opportunity to grow spiritually. Sometimes I forget the spiritual journey that I was on. I, 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 I guess in my mind I think, well, you know, I went from point A to like point, you know, uh, E, and then I just skipped, and I just, and I just fast-tracked sort of spiritually. And then I paused, and I said, Jeff, you, you didn't do that at all. Your spiritual growth was incremental. It was, it was baby steps. It wasn't quantum leaps. And sometimes, how many of you know, when we've been following Jesus for a long time, and, and a lot of us have, I've been following Jesus since I was 15 years of age, and sometimes in the illusion of my own thinking, I just think, man, I went from like a newborn baby Christian, like a mature Christian overnight, and then I start realizing, oh, no, it wasn't that way at all. And it was incremental steps. And did you ever feel this way when you were a new Christian, that you were making progress, but then occasionally there'd be a step back? I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but, you know, I had some things that God really needed to work out of my life. And so, again, I'm 15 years of age, and I've got to have I love Jesus. I love the Scriptures. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm doing everything that I need to know. But I've got some stuff in my life. I'm a Christian. I love God, but I've got some stuff in my life. And God would deal with me about that stuff, and he'd be like, I want to root that out of you. Uh, have you ever had this experience that God was growing me, and I knew the areas where God was growing me, and I would get to a point where I'd feel pretty good about that. And I'd be like, I'd be like I have some victory in that area now. And, and that's, you know, that's not hamstringing me, spiritually speaking, and I'm growing in my relationship with God. And I started feeling pretty confident about that. And about that time, God started saying, hey, what about this other area in your life? Anybody ever had that experience? Uh, so I didn't really have a chance to like, okay, feel real proud about where it's like, okay, you're growing. I'll, I'll give that to you. But what about this area? And then it became a string of, okay, I'm growing you. And it's progressive. How many of you know that? It's, it's not quantum leaps, it's baby steps. And the reason that I mention that is for those of us who are like me, and a lot of you are, you've been in the church for a long, long time, it's, it's easy to forget that the spiritual steps that other people are making are really much like the steps that we took when we became Christians. Does this make sense to you? So we've got to give people the room to grow spiritually, allowing each other the opportunity to grow, being extremely slow to hold grudges, and being exceedingly fast to extend grace. And if this really happens in the way that God intended, then you and I will be able to embrace everything that God has ever intended for us to be as a church. Jesus says this to his followers, and you'll see it on the screen. It's the two verses that I was talking about, and then we're going to start wrapping up. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. Read this last portion with me, all of us. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Uh, John Townsend, some of you have heard that name in Henry Cloud, 
uh, wrote a book. It's not an easy read, I'll just tell you that. I think you ought to pick it up and read it if you get the chance, but it's not an easy read. You're not going to read huge chunks of it at a time. If you read it the way, if you read it the way I read it, it's just like you read a little bit and then you process, process. And in this book called How People Grow, Townsend is writing this particular portion of the book, and he said, he's talking about acceptance, and he says the word acceptance means taking to oneself. It is an invitation. Briefly defined, acceptance is the state of receiving someone into relationship. To be accepted is to have all your parts, good and bad, received by another without condemnation. It applies to all our relationships with God, others, and ourselves. It is closely acceptance, as he's talking about, related to grace, undeserved merit. So acceptance is the result of the working of grace. I've learned a lot over the years as a Christian, but I've just got to tell you, I've got a long way to go. But you know what I'm learning? That not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, God is wanting me, and I think He wants you as well, not just me, to be, to be all about building bridges and not walls. Does that make sense? Not throwing rocks from the pinnacle, whatever pinnacle we think we may be at. But instead of throwing rocks, we throw ropes and help to pull people into the direction that God intends for them to be. And we can express that in a lot of different ways. We saw earlier where Paul's talking to these believers at Corinth, and he says, hey, and God gives different gifts, and we all have different gifts. And that's the beauty of it, our diversity, our uniqueness. And we all have different gifts. How many of you know a church would never be able to function at maximum capacity if we all had the same spiritual gifts? Because there'd be so many needs that would be met, but there'd be even more so that would be left undone. And so I encourage you as never before to say, you know, God, help me to discover what, what do you want me to do? What, what fits me, my temperament, my personality? What kind of spiritual gifts have I, have I received? Because listen, friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have received spiritual gifts. And if you have received spiritual gifts, God fully intends for you to use them. So if you're not using them, maybe you just start looking around and saying, you know what, God, I need to be doing something with what you've given to me. You saved me. I'm a Christian. And because I'm a Christian, I have spiritual gifts. What ministry do you have for me to do, whether I'm young? or older, whether I'm a newer Christian or I'm like a veteran Christian. So we faithfully serve in a ministry with an unselfish life. We know that we're growing when we align our financial resources with matters that are near the heart of God. And we just say, well, Lord, you know what? Here's what I want to do. I just, you've been so good to me. You've blessed me. And we all know that we're blessed. I mean, there's so many people, probably 95% of people scattered around the world would love to trade places with us. And we're so blessed. And we're saying like, God, what can I do? You've been so good. You've extended such grace to me. How can I take the kingdom resources, the financial resources you've given to me and move them near what's close to your heart. God, how can I more so value friendships enough to speak the truth when I have to speak the truth to them about something that may not be easy, but to do it with acceptance and grace? And God, help me, listen to this now, to capture the reality that every person matters to God and every person will spend eternity somewhere. One of the things that... I know that we all appreciate uh, about pastors and when he tells these stories about frequent, frequent, uh, his frequency to these businesses, people that he's intentionally built relationships with and out of that shares Christ and people who started coming to the church as a result of just establishing and, and it all goes back to what all of us need to be emulating. It's just looking and locking eyes with the person and realizing that every single person that you and I ever lock eyes with are people that matter to God and they're going to spend eternity somewhere 
to find creative and tangible ways to care for the poor and the sick and the discouraged and the marginalized. And here's what we all must do. To give each other room to be different and the opportunity to grow. And for those of us who are more veterans in the faith, to just say, you know what? It's, it's not just even about my spiritual life. It's like, how can with I, listen now, how can I just with a humble spirit find some people that are newer to the faith and help to mentor them and develop them and show them? Paul did this with Timothy, didn't he? And how can we do that? How can we take some people under our armor and just invest in their life and help them to grow spiritually, to give each other room to be different and the opportunity to grow, and it's to extend grace and to build bridges instead of walls? And friends, I'm just telling you, if you're not just say that, here's what I'm going to do. My life is not going to be about building walls with people that are different. I'm going to build bridges. And I'm not going to throw rods when I don't agree with somebody or I don't like. I'm going to throw ropes and I'm going to help them to grow and become everything that God intended to be, then I'll tell you exactly what will happen. Then one day we will stand before our great grace-filled God and we will hear him say, well done, you've been a faithful servant. Do you believe that? Let's stand for a closing prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you for our time together tonight. and. Lord, in these closing moments of this service, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our influence in this community. Thank you for the unity and oneness that we enjoy. Thank you for the spiritual maturity of so many people that are a part of our church, and it just helps them to be spiritual fathers and mothers to those who are newer to the faith. And God, we really believe that you're going to bring a lot more people to us who are going to be introduced to you, and then they'd be able to lean upon so many of us, and that we would, with grace and humility, show them the way to go. Help us, God, more so than ever before to build bridges. And may all of us be grace givers and never self-appointed judges. God, there's a lot of reasons why we love our church. There's a lot of reasons why we love our church. And especially because you bring us together as a family to make a difference in this community and around the world. So God, I just pray for every person here tonight that you'd help us to love everybody, people that are just like us and people that are so different from us. And help the world to look at Victory Church and to say those people are for real because we love. We follow the teachings of your son Jesus who said the world's going to know that you follow me because the way you love, the way you love each other, the way you love people that are different from you, the way that you love people that are coming into the church that are not exactly like you are. And God, we love that about our church. Lord, I pray that you just help us all individually to just in the places where we work and where we live and where we go to school and whatever we're doing, that every person we come in contact with, more so than ever, would realize that person, although they may be so unlike us and maybe may agitate us and aggravate us, that we had love beyond that, God, and we would know that they're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell and that we would not be able to rest appropriately until we've done everything we know to do to introduce them to your son, Jesus. We thank you for that. Thank you for every person here. Thank you for our church. You've been so good to us, God.
before we leave here tonight, maybe you just need to come and just say, God, you know, just sort of reword something in me. Maybe a moment ago when I just said that, hey, there's times in my life then and even now when I feel like I'm growing and I get to an area and I'm like, okay, thank you, God. It's not a struggle for me. And God says, well, what about this area? I want to work. And maybe that's true for you. Maybe there's an area in your life. You know God. You love God. You're going to heaven. All that. I'm not saying anything that's opposite of that. But you just know that you have an internal struggle going on. And if you could get God's help on that struggle, it may be an addiction. It may be a behavior. maybe a habit. Maybe just sort of a besetting sin, and, and you just say, hey, I, I just want somebody to pray with me because I know it's going to help my testimony and my witness to be even greater if I can just get over that. Maybe you've come to this place tonight, and you've just feel discouraged. Maybe you're just going through a tough time in your health or in your job or in your finances. Maybe there's a relationship that is all out of whack, and that relationship matters a whole lot to you. I don't want you to leave this place until you come and you give us a chance to pray with you and for you tonight. So the team is going to do one song, and as they sing this song, I encourage you, if you have a need, you come and you meet us right here at the front, and we'll pray with you. And then I'll come back in just a moment and do the benediction. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together together wonderful to here I am here I am to worship here I am to bow down here I am to say that you're my God you're all together lovely all together
We're going to close right now. If you want to come after this prayer, you can certainly do so. We'll hang out around the front. Now, this is really, really important, and we need to speak to this before we're done. The reason why God can tell us that we need to love is because God is love. The reason that God can encourage us to extend grace is because God extends grace. I never want to make an assumption that just because you're here on a Wednesday night that that means that you're ready for heaven. You may have sat in this entire service, the worship, the message portion. You may actually be watching online right now, and you're a good person, but you've yet to receive God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. I don't want to make an assumption for any person in this room or anybody that's watching right now online. And if you've yet to commit your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you right where you're at, either in this sanctuary or sitting at a table or in a chair somewhere watching this online, I want us to bow our heads and I want us to close our eyes and I want everybody to repeat after me because it will help those who are praying this for the first time. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner and I need your love. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I want to know that I'm ready for heaven. So right now, the best as I understand it, I receive you, Jesus into my life. With your help, I will become the person I want to be who is like the person you want me to be. I want to be like you, Jesus. Give me your help, your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together and give God some praise? Can we do it? I hope you have a great rest of your week. I love you, everybody. We're going to have a great time Sunday. Look forward to seeing you then. God bless.